Welcome to episode 94 of No Shot Clock, the Chicago High School Basketball Podcast. I'm Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun-Times, here as always with Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Hoops Report. The city tournament is over. It was a wild night. I'm still dealing with the fallout. It's going to be a long Monday for me. Uh, we're recording the podcast a little early, so we don't. We only have one question. I didn't have time to put the call out, but we're going to take that question, then we're going to go through our two takes, then we'll talk a little bit about the uh, city tournament, what went on this week, and then we'll kind of dive in a little bit to the sectional seeds, talk about those, little complaints about the format, that kind of stuff. So that's the that's the plan. How's it going, Joe? Good. Just a week left, a regular season. City provided some fireworks right before <laughs> the state playoffs. So uh, you, you, you'd like to say it, it's you wish it wasn't the norm, do you know what I mean? Yeah. With, with, with this, but we, we just continue to have different different stories that come out of, of this event over the years. But anyway, I digress. I'm just happy that it was a 4.30 start, so I was able to handle it all and <laughs> not have to worry about deadline. That was a gift from the basketball gods to me that I, I wasn't running around to 10 at night dealing with all that. But the rankings, man, you know, I usually spend, well, in the old days, it used to be two hours, two and a half. This last two seasons has been more like three and four hours. I did not have that kind of time last night to uh, dive into it after the game. So I feel like it was a little bit rushed. And there are actually some complaints on Twitter and on the site that I feel are valid. (laughs) Which which bothers me a little bit. But I just didn't have time to really, you know... You still sleep well at night. Think about it. Yeah, I'm not too... Well, that's the thing. I would have tried to take a little bit more time, but the playoffs are starting. Who cares? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, they're all yeah. going to, in a week, it's all going to be. It all sorts out. Yeah. So I decided to give Maine South a little bit of love since they'd been, uh, hadn't been in all year and move on with my life. But anyway, let's uh, start out with these questions. Well, sorry, with the question um, from Marty Machazic, who um, must just know that we record on Mondays because this came in at nine ten. Uh, Marty says, uh, great job in the crazy final minutes of the Public League final. I showed the video to my son and told him, here's the last two minutes of the game. And he asked, why is it 16 minutes long? I laughed and said, you'll see why. Um, if anybody wants to watch it, it's up there on my Twitter. Um, the Sun-Times is actually cutting out just the drama part at the end, and we're going to have that for maybe some possible Morgan Park punishment stuff, so you can... If you want to wait, you can see that. Actually, by the time you're listening, this is probably up there. Uh, Marty says, now that the sectional seeds are out, it appeared the coaches in the Eisenhower sectional put a lot of stock into Simeon's strength of schedule and its head-to-head win over HF and a lot less weight into its record with a number three seed. Contrast that with the Proviso West, where as a York alum, I'm thrilled to see them having an excellent season, but was surprised they got a number three and Oak Park was all the way down at number six despite the Huskies' season sweep of the Dukes and also having a solid record against what would appear to be a pretty tough schedule. Years ago, there were actual seed meetings where the coaches could talk about their teams, and I think some of the coaches believed it led to more accountability in the voting. What are your guys' thoughts on the seeding process? Should there be a more defined criteria, and would it help if they still had meetings instead of all the coaches just submitting their seeds via computer? Good question from a obviously a Someone who knows what they're talking about, Marty. But yeah, I, mean, I, I you know, just those seeds. Kudos to the those coaches in the Eisenhower sectionals that recognize that Simeon's schedule 
was what it was, that they beat home with Flossmore, and despite their pretty much 500-ish record, gave them the seed they really did deserve. Oak Park, I, you know, I did seeds and, 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 and ranked the sectionals uh, prior to the sectional seeds coming out, and I did have Oak Park ahead of York. I just could not ignore two wins over over York, including one was a 30-point win and one a week before the seeds. So, yeah, I, I was surprised by that. And then to Marty's point, yes, I, I, I've probably done a take on this in the past in one of our podcasts, Mike, I believe, I've, or I've written about it for sure, that, yes, it is a big deal to when they, when, when they change to the computer-generated submit seeds as opposed to hammering out in a room one night with all the coaches there and present. And I, I, I just think there's more accountability when the coaches are there and they're staring people in the face and they're screwing them over. Uh, yeah. or, and I, I also believe it's just you, you hear, if anybody doesn't know, you got to do some homework now if you're seeding a, a, a team. More or less, you could kind of go into that seeding meeting back in the day, listen to the spiel of the coaches and why they should be seeded this or that and hear their season. Maybe they missed a, uh, their best player for 10 games. I mean, there's teams that don't have any clue about that or five games or whatever. And so you hear all this information for sure. I mean, you're sitting there at 8 and 18 on the year and you're drudging through the season. And the last thing you want to go do is a bunch of research. I mean, it should do it for the better of the game. But I, I just don't know how many of them do their homework and research before they seed. And my last point is, I don't understand why they can't get it together and get together. Most of the coaches I talk to would prefer to. I mean, these coaches are spending so much time throughout the summer and June and camps and shootouts and uh, events, and they they scout. They do uh, all the scouting going during the season. They can't spend one more night. <laughs> it was way more important and making sure the seeds are right. So, yeah, I mean, I, this is kind of my soapbox. Um with this i think it's it's stupid and it should change and they should be all in a room together and i think it would make a difference now that there's a ton of mike and i were talking about before i'm rambling here but we didn't see a ton of 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 you know glaring things we saw that were like oh how did this happen but there, there were a few here and there and in and, and the defense of the coaches some of those happened in sectionals that really were pretty challenging to see yeah uh, and you know what i can actually see the um York over Oak Park argument as someone who has been thinking about that every Sunday for the last two or three months. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough when Oak Park beats them that second time. However, when you're looking at a body of work, it's of several months. York has no bad losses. York has a handful of losses, all to good teams. Yes. Including Oak Park. Whereas Oak Park just dropped some crappers and a 20-point loss to RB. They lost to Fenwick in overtime. Not horrible, not great. Lost by 13 to Lions. I mean, there are some things here that say that York York had a better season, you know, overall. And York is a more dependable team. And I, and I so I can kind of get that um, if somebody wants to take that. I can see both sides, I guess, is what I'm right. saying. Um, and that's kind of – I agree, too. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit and argue and debate whether York or Oak Park or just one, I guess one man's opinion. And I guess my all, I mean, 
if, if Oak Park's record was a little bit worse, and I know what you're saying too with the, with the more losses and stuff that that stand out. Uh, I personally, just me myself, couldn't get past the, the head just head. the head to head. But but yeah, you're right. I mean, the body of work. The more I mean, they got a win total. They they York's played a. I mean, people. I've seen some people on either Twitter or comments talking about York's schedule, and, and York's schedule is not as bad as people. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, they, That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. No. I mean, they played Bennett and Stevenson out of conference. They played um, St. Lawrence has been ranked. They played, you know, there, there's a number of teams, Rockford East. So they've, they've Oswego East, they've played a ton of, of good non-conference games. So, yeah, I mean, York getting that seed, um, yeah, I they have no problem with it. It's just uh, I know what Marty was saying there too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, and it's good to have – Things like that where you can see both ways. It's not like anybody, I think, really got screwed in that sense. It's just how right. it goes. And, you know, I don't – I've always, the last few years, been hard on the side of, yeah, the coaches should meet. That would be better. But now, I guess one thing I hadn't really thought about, there are so many teams in these sectionals now. You know, it, we're like into the 23, you know, team level. How long does it take to hear 23 teams give their case? Yeah, You're going to be mean, there four hours. Oh, well. You know what I mean? When it used to be <laughs> six teams a lot, and I'm sure that took a while, but yeah. like 23 teams, that's insane. If you give them. If, well, I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> about 10 of those teams' spiels aren't real long. Uh, yeah, coach, we're 4 and 22. We beat that. Yeah. I mean, uh, if, if, those shouldn't take too long. If everybody you know gets I mean? 10 minutes, that's four hours. <laughs> I mean. uh, yeah, I just. I, I just. Mike, I've and they throw out the highest seed and they throw out the lowest seed in these. And coaches, I have the benefit of coaches sending me the, yeah. which are very interesting. They send me the spreadsheet for the yeah. sectional and sectionals, and it's just like stupid. We're and by and large, some of them aren't affected by a seed like like a team that should be like seated, no brainer, top four or five seed, and they somebody gives them an eleven. Yeah. You know, I, it's just. I look at it, and I would love to call them out publicly, but I won't. Uh, it's just really crazy looking at some of those seeds that some coaches clearly either a have no clue or or have a vendetta, one of the two. So anyway, it's just I'd rather have them right there, uh, like the old days. Yep. Huh. All right. Uh, let's. Uh, that's it for the questions. So we're gonna get right into our two takes. Do you want to start us off, Joe? Yeah, uh, I'll go right into a take that is, uh, Mike just said, it's it's good when it's debatable and I can see both sides. Here's something I, I, I don't see both sides of, and, and it's individual player awards. And, and, and I think I've picked on, or Mike and I have picked on a little bit the Catholic League uh, with some of the decisions there's a lot of weird things that go on in the Catholic League. You don't know like who's in what division from year to year. You've got really no true Catholic League winner anymore. You got two divisions. They don't play each other. There's two Lawless Award winners. Um, small or the one division gets one, and the other division. But the big one came out, and I, I, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Perry Cowan and, and DePaul Prep at all. But in this case, I mean, it's a pretty big, prestigious award. And to me, it is a no-brainer. And Marquise Kennedy, to me, was just completely 
shafted. I mean, I, I guess it was a four to three vote, one coat abstained or something, but I mean, the numbers speak for themselves to begin with. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Someone abstained. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's hilarious. I'd heard something about the drama, it, but not about the abstention. <laughs> maybe they weren't there. Or maybe. I, yeah. I, I don't know. But um, <laughs> the numbers are, I mean, they, 24.4. Here's Marquise Kennedy's numbers. 24.4 points a game, 6.5 rebounds, 3.8 assists, two steals a game. He's blocked over 35 shots. He's shooting 60% from the field. You know, Perry Collins, 18-6-3-2. It's not as if, I mean, if Brother Rice was 10-18, and 18, I get it. But they're 20-8. and eight. Just last week, as I watched the game, he scored 44 points against DePaul Prep. Perry Collins at 11, uh, like 3 of 14 shooting. I, I mean, again, Perry Collins is a terrific player. And he does all the little things as well. But so does Marquise Kennedy, a terrific defender. He blocks shots like a guard I've never seen before. I, I, there's just no reason how you could put those two guys together. I mean, if you're just going to automatically say, okay, whoever wins the – whoever the best player is on the first-place team, then don't don't even have the award. Just don't vote. Why get together? So, again, two great players – they're both worthy of probably all area, uh, definitely, consideration and, and likely will be. But I, I just – I hate when you see something that's, that's to me, as clear as day. And, and I've talked to a number of different people and even from the outside looking in. Uh, and they're like, what? In the, how, how did that happen? So I, I just feel bad for Marquise Kennedy, to be honest with you. <laughs> well – this is fun. Um, first off, I wasn't aware we could abstain from player votes. Can I abstain from player of the year voting <laughs> this year? Well, there's not enough votes for, for a few abstain. <laughs> wow, I can just uh, abstain. This is let me, awesome. Let me the word. What was the word used? <laughs> um, yeah, I heard about this drama a lot yesterday, too. However, um, I do have the counterpoint. Um, oh, yeah. You had a great counterpoint, Mike, with York. I don't want to hear this one. <laughs> I um, This is a league that has made a public stand and gone to the IHSA with the East Suburban Catholic about the transfer issue. And they're about... Oh, wait, is this your... Like, this is your argument that he's a transfer? That Perry Cowan is a four-year starter and a four-year star in the Chicago Catholic League who never... <laughs> who didn't leave... Like a lot of the other kids did. I think that supports my point. And Marquise Kennedy, you know, came, came junior year. I, I agree that Marquise Kennedy had a better season. Um, no doubt about that. I don't think there's I don't think there's an argument there. Especially with the way DePaul Prep has fallen off in the last month. So I'm not going to argue that. I totally 100% agree. But I will say that, to me, I could see that that's part of their reasoning. Secondly... The Lawless Award, in my mind, has always been poor. Um, there's an awful lot of great players that, for whatever reason, didn't win the Lawless, and it went to somebody else. If you go back and look, almost every season on this podcast, I complain about who won oh. the Lawless. So, all right, so hold on. So it's not an abstain vote. I, I, I'm or going through my text messages and stuff from different coaches. It, it was. Someone in the league voted for their own player. 
that had no other yes. than those two guys. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. I, I heard that one. And that and that used to not be allowed, from what I hear. It shouldn't be allowed. Yes, and so and especially if it was, especially if it didn't used to be allowed. Yeah, that was new, and that that's why this is kind of up for drama. Uh, because they changed the format of it. But, I mean, it's an award. It's a Catholic League award that Nate Minoy never won. So, I mean, how much validity does it have? I'd have to go through the history books and look at the contenders. I just th- – this one is just was so plain. It was maybe debatable going into the last two, three weeks, kind of. But, come on, Marquis Kennedy just had a monster, monster year. And the Paul Prep hasn't actually won the league yet. They still got to play a game. And if they lose, guess who shares the title? Yeah, Brother, and, and they've yes. had a rough last few weeks. I don't know. I I I, I, I like the Paul Prep, Tom Kleinschmidt, what he's done and built that program from absolutely nothing. And I like the fact Perry Collin, even when there was some scuttlebutt of him transferring at one point early in his career, that he stayed and, and true to that program. And they've had an unbelievable four years while he's there, including – a great career. I just, I had to just mention it yeah. because I, I just feel like it's, it's clear as day. DePaul prep has lost five of their last eight games, by the way, Yeesh. they're not in the rankings. They haven't, I mean, they're the good teams, uh, Morgan park, St. Lawrence, new Trier, Quincy and overtime and brother rice. Well, the Rogers beat them by what? 15. Wasn't that game like a double digit game last week? Yeah. 67, 54. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, if you go back, what was it, five of their last eight, they've lost eight of their last, like, nine or 11, yeah, whatever. They, they've been on very bad form, um, and that's got to be tough to make a case for a guy um, when that's going on. Anyway, um, I guess it's my take now. Um, mine is on last night. Um, you know, I didn't see it. Morgan Park lost to Curie. It was a fantastic game. And that's the sad part of it. We're going to talk about the game here in a little bit. And it's just really sad that we're not all just talking about that game because it was a phenomenal game. So much fun to watch. Lived up to the hype. I'm sure anybody watching on TV enjoyed it. It was great. Um, But we're going to talk about that plenty. We're going to talk about that later. But afterwards, there was, as usual, some disputed calls at the end, which happens you know, not just in the public league. It happens everywhere. People don't like calls. I have myself, as a Julia Township fan, I remember one particular evening at Stag <laughs> where I about lost my mind over um, some calls at the end. I mean, it happens to everybody. Everybody goes through it. Everybody that's listening to this podcast loves high school basketball and has been there. They get that. But when what's different here is how it's handled. And I don't know exactly what happened. I know some things I've heard. I know what I did see at the end. But something happened after the game with the officials. I have some people telling me that the Morgan Park players were involved. Um, I don't know. I am going to... The referees are filing an official complaint with the IHSA. They're going to send me a copy of that. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this, there's a story up on the website that describes it better. What I do know is, you know, by the time I ran over there, you know, I was doing the live stream the last final minute. So I ran over there with my phone and I saw all this stuff in the hallway. At that point, it was just adults. I never saw a single Morgan Park player involved in anything. It was Morgan Park affiliated adults. Um... And it was just just a scene of BS 
with complaining and yelling and I don't know, security and the Chicago state police were trying to push people back. There was no handshake line um, because of the drama that happened immediately afterwards. And then security decided there wasn't going to be a post game handshake line because things were too hot. Then Nick Irvin, you, you can see this on the video gets irate when he hears that and says that, you know, you starts yelling at the CPS security officials that you're not going to do this to me. You're not going to do this to my team. We're going out, you know, to do the handshake line. So he won. They ended up coming back out to do the handshake line with, you know, security following them the whole way. And it went without incident and they left, but you know, it just really took away from Mike Oliver has some quotes. You can read in my story online, just about how sad of a situation it is and how it took away from his team, from how hard they'd worked. You know, usually I'd be out there, you know, taking photos of the state championship winning team and it had been all about them. Instead, it was about some drama from some adults in a hallway that are complaining about referee calls in a high school basketball game. And that's ridiculous. And it, it needs to stop. You know, they need to be better than that. We can't go on like this. The entire CPS feels this way. I have received texts and calls from several coaches last night and this morning. They're all very upset about this. They don't like the way it makes everybody look. It's not something that's happening with all of the teams. It's a real problem, and it's going to be interesting to see what the CPS and or the IHSA does about this incident with Morgan Park. They were already on probation because they were in a fight in the first game of the season, so uh, stay tuned. Yeah, the bottom line is, sounds pretty simple. It just doesn't do any good. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. It just, I mean, the reaction and the actions of whoever's involved, in this case, obviously Morgan Park, it just it doesn't help anything. It only magnifies and makes it worse. Uh, that That's the you know, like you said, it's just a shame because it takes away from what was a great game. Uh, my second take is this is a team that we haven't we really haven't talked much about, and we've talked a lot about them over the years. And that's Maine South. You know, they're a perennial twenty-plus win uh, program, and uh, Tony Lavarado's done a fantastic job of building that program over the past decade. And they've been kind of laying in the weeds, Mike. They, they we haven't talked about them because at one point I think they were well, I think they were 11 and 8 um, you know just kind of him haw start to the season nine I and thought seven. Yeah, sorry 9 and 7 yeah. for sure yeah so and then they've gone on this 10 and 1 run to close out the season with that one loss coming to Evanston and anybody who knows anything about Maine South knows they they play a it's a style and system that works to their advantage that they have thrived in and causes a lot of problems, headaches, or a lot of opposing, opposing teams' headaches trying to, to play it, especially on a quick turnaround in, in March where you don't have a lot of time prep time. Now, the Central Suburban League teams are going to, you know, in that sectional are, are, are accustomed and used to it, so it won't be that big of a deal for them. But uh, just the rise in, in both Maine South, in particular, Philip Bulatovich, the, the versatile 6'5 senior who I, I talk about, write about in, in my three-pointer column this week. You know, in, in the first, in that first stretch, he aver- you know, he's averaged about 15, or about 16 and a half points a game this year. But he, in, in this long this stretch where they've gone 10 and 1, he's over 20 points a game, uh, 20.6 points, 8.3 rebounds. And, you know, he's been asked to, to defend different players, uh, versatile defender. He, he's an offensive force. And right now they're the number three seed in a sectional that, Yes, Evanston is clearly the team to beat. 
And, you know, Nutrier's a two seed that's got some injury issues and some things are up in the air with them. Maine South could be a, a real sleeper. And, and they're a team that at one time this season lost to Evanston in overtime, 54 to 50 back in, in December. Now they ran into a buzzsaw the second time they played them. Their last loss was Evanston drilled them by 23. Blake Peters had nine threes and 30 points that game. So that might be a little bit of an outlier. But I, I just, I, you know, Maine South has been steady and consistent for years, and we haven't really talked about them. And poof, here they are, uh, right there, one of the hottest teams in a very competitive sectional. Yeah, it is. It's a fun, fun story. We got a lot of good storylines this season, even though you know it hasn't been. The most high-level play of a season, but uh, Ben Pope, the intern, went out and covered Maine South Crane uh, two weekends ago, I believe it was. And um, Tony Lavarado had a pretty great quote in the story. He said, um, "We always say what doesn't break you makes you stronger." In early January, I felt like we were on the verge of getting broken. <laughs> so it sounds like they were right there. And then he talks about how um, they moved Philip Bulatovich to center. Um, he's 6'5", and it's the first time he'd played there. Lavarado said he wanted more one-on-one matchups inside rather than him getting double-teamed on the perimeter all the time. And since then, like Joe said, he's averaging 22 a game um, during this winning streak. So it's interesting that there's like an actual concrete move um, that they can point at. Well, in the middle of that season, Mike, I could see why he said it. Just look at you think about it. They lost to Glenbrook South heading into the holiday tournament. Lost a first round game to Lincoln Park, good team, but the first round. And then lost the second round game to South Central. So I mean, they lost three in a row there in December, and then started out January, lost to a very good Alton team, gets beat by Niles North by sixteen, loses to Trier, three straight losses. So they're, you know, they're two and six over an eight game stretch, late December, early January, and the two wins were. Michael Bryan's favorite consolation games. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that that was – I can see why he's talking about it like that. Yeah, that's exciting. All right. Um, my take. <laughs> sorry, I'm, sorry, I'm half here, guys. I'm, I'm getting with it. I got this Morgan Park story going on in the background that I'm having to pay attention to. Um, let's see. The um, Sharif Kenny is my take. This is um, – a, almost a deleted scene <laughs> from the um, the episode that we missed, our first ever a couple of weeks ago, back when all I had was Joe recorded. Um, I did have a long take about Orr's Sharif Kenny because I'd seen him for the first time that was never recorded. But I think it's a good time to go back to that because he was so fantastic at Orr, um, Orr against Bogan. Um, He's a strange guy, a strange player, if you haven't seen him play. He is, he looks old. Uh, A lot of the publicly coaches want to know how old he is. They want to see a birth certificate. Um, He's got a stout frame, shall we say. (laughs) He's about 6'4", 6'5". Stout Um, and old is something talking about about a grandpa or an old uncle. And this is what he, he looks like a guy in a men's league. And that's how he plays. <laughs> and it's awesome. <laughs> it is so awesome. He makes passes. Let's just say a high-level public league coach said to me, he does. He makes passes I've never seen a high school kid make. Never. This is a, a coach who has coached against and coached NBA players. And this is what he's saying about Sharif Kenny. And he's right. And he does it regularly. It's not like, oh, there's one pass a game where you're like, there will be six. And four of them, the high school kids won't catch and won't be in the right spot because they don't know what the heck he's doing either. 
Um, he has this basketball brain that allows him to play. He plays so slow. That's what also makes him weird is everything he does looks ponderous and slow, but because he's has such great court awareness and knows what is going on, it works and it's deadly at times. And the confidence he has, he hit a three to send the game into overtime against uh, Bogan, which was kind of your typical great catch it pretty quick man in your face, shoot it. But in, in the actual overtime, he took this step back three that was the nastiest, cruelest shot I've seen all season long. It was it was just amazing. I don't know a how he got it off, how he had the you know gonads to take it. It it was something else. He was phenomenal in that game. Um, I mean I don't even know what to I don't know what we're gonna do with him. He didn't play enough to be all city or all area. Um, or all state, so that's probably out the window because you know he didn't start playing until what mid January or something. Um, yeah. And I missed a couple games after he had an injury. Yeah, and I've seen a couple games where he didn't play well, to be honest. Um, but then I've seen games where he's just been a complete and utter revelation, and in such a strange way. Um, I ca- I can't compare him to anybody. I literally have no one. You know, everybody loves to make comparisons. I got nothing for you on Sharif Kenny. There is probably some guy in an over 30 men's league that is out there very much like him, but we don't have it around here and he is something else. And it's going to be a treat to watch him in Peoria if, uh, or can make it down there. I thought old school, John Bagley, uh, old people, way old, probably <laughs> may remember, but I'm also just envisioning or in Peoria with this, rec league stout old <laughs> player yeah. and the people from Nashville or Teutopolis or Gibson city <laughs> watching this guy trot out with or, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, sorry. It's also like, Oh, you know, I've been playing point guard the whole game, but now I'm going to post up. And so he literally like walks down <laughs> to the post, picks a guy, puts his button to him <laughs> and posts up and it's, and then they, he gets the ball and no, everyone knows what's happening. There's, you know, eight yeah. guys in the court watching it and he just does it and scores. It, it's so strange. These two topless fans are, yeah. we're already <laughs> up against it playing the public league and now they trot out this guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fun. Um, but yeah, speaking of fun, we'll talk a little bit about actually the game. Like uh, last night, you know, the, and we're recording this Monday. It, it, it was, it was a weird game in that it it started out with such. I mean, I, I I thought it was. I I mean, I thought it was over. I really did. I, I thought okay, Morgan Parks. Wait, wait when yeah. did when did you think it was over? Really? I, I, yeah, I oh, just thought wow. it, just, it just in my mind it looked to me like okay, this just be one of those days. Morgan Parks gonna make shots. They run out to this big league. Curie's it's gonna be a two. What was the biggest lead? 13? Nin- Nineteen to five. 14. Yeah. I just felt like mm. it was a little overreaction, obviously. Uh, and I thought the Curie would climb back in and scratch and claw. Uh, I, I just thought they kind of had, had built that lead and, and now they're just exuding this confidence. And, but, and I'm writing about this. I have a story coming out later this week about this Curie team and it's kind of a regular season coronation <laughs> column. And just how different this team is. It's just a different type of team. And I write about this. It's just they don't have – they don't look like world beaters. They don't have this massive size. They don't have unbelievable athleticism. They're not floating around with four or five Division One players. 
And then as Mike did in our previous podcast, kind of went through the resume. I think have been last week even. And it's just unbelievably impressive what they've done. And then I even researched their out-of-state teams that they've faced and played. You know, a top-five team in Arizona or whatever states, I can't remember now, but two top-five teams, one in Tennessee, one in Arizona, I think. And then they lost to the number-five team in the country. So it is just remarkable what they've accomplished. But the game itself, I just think Dejuan Gordon – uh, time and time again this year, without forcing things, is what I always like to see, just was the difference. I mean, he had 28 points, played some good defense, and he and just showed some toughness. Um, you know, I was texting back and forth, Kansas State assistant coach Brad Corn was there, taking it in, and just, oh, he's just so excited about, you know, he didn't talk about the point total or anything, just about how hard he played, the toughness he showed, and and the composure he had, um, and some leadership that he showed in that game too. Yeah, it it was a very impressive performance. I um, it's funny you mentioned the start. I thought that was the best thing that could have happened for Curie. Um, so open you, their eyes. Yeah, a team that w- you whooped already this year. You know, mm. and the way a lot of high level public league games go, you do not want Curie to get up by fifteen early. Um, but I will say I changed my tune though. Um. For starting the third quarter, um, Curie had made two runs, and Morgan Park had held him off both times. And then Morgan Park is up by eight to start the fourth, and that's the point where I really thought Morgan Park was going to win. I didn't. I thought you know Curie had come back, but Morgan Park had managed time and again to kind of you know just quell that momentum. And then to start the fourth quarter, Trayvon Hamilton, who no college wants steps up and just changes everything, you know, hits a three to start it, you know, cuts it to a five point game. Then he takes a charge like at half court to get the ball back. And on that possession finds Justin Harmon and a beautiful assist to make it 52 to 55. And then Dejuan Gordon scores to make it 55, 54. And we are, you know, off to the races. Adam Miller scored five points after that. And that was the end of it. Curie shut Morgan Park out without a basket for the last 5.30 of the game. I mean, that's phenomenal. Adam Miller had one free throw in there. They'd really stepped up at crunch time. And it was interesting because that's not a way they've won all year. You know, I was talking to the the players and Mike Oliver afterwards. They said in the um, East St. Louis game, that's how it went. I guess that was an overtime game. Yeah, and East St. Louis, I guess, was ahead most of the time. And they came back. But the rest of the games, you know, that has not been the way they've won. They've kind of been in charge. They were down at halftime to Simeon at Pontiac, but that was the only other time they could come up with when they were even trailing at halftime. Well, they beat Morgan Park 94 to 62 uh, back in December at Morgan Park, I believe. Uh, That's why I thought Morgan Park jumping out early was good for Yeah, Yeah, I mean, Trayvon Hamilton is one of the most underrated, underappreciated guys. really in the city and the state, to be honest. I mean, he's not a big numbers guy, but steady, composed, does all the little things for them at point guard. And, uh, you know, my Dejon Gordon thing is just simply that game was, again, it wasn't over and out of reach yet, but I love the fact, I mean, he brought them back in that first half. And I think he had 15 or 17 and a half, but he, he made some big threes there in the first half. Basically, it just kind of quells that, that early quick start and say, okay, I'm the senior. I'm going to get this team back and 
before it got it went from 12 13 14 whatever it could have got to 16 17 he brought it back and got him back in it and but again i even thought before that last flurry even when morgan park was up one i i just i don't know i just felt like they were going to win um and, and I guess this goes back to me saying all year long, and nothing against Curie because I think they're clearly established themselves as the best team, but you just expected them to lose at some point. You, and I know Mike Oliver is quoted in your story, uh, that I think something to the effect that I never dreamed we'd be 29-1. and one. Yeah. I didn't either. I mean, no one – to play the schedule they played and, and in this competitive year that we keep saying, and that's why I point out this story is, Pontiac Holiday Tournament supposed to be as deep and wide open as ever. Finally, somebody else can win. Um, the Red South Central just loaded, and they go undefeated. The City Championship, all kinds of publicly contenders. Curie wins it. So it, it's just I just expected them at some point, just like any other team, to to have that one night or where a, a team rises up and plays better than them and beats them, and it just hasn't happened. Yeah, Mike Oliver listens to the podcast, I guess, uh, which I did not know. But when we were, I was interviewing him after the game, and when we were talking about that, um, he pointed out, and I forgot. Do you remember after they won Pontiac on our first podcast? I looked through the schedule and I said they have a chance of going undefeated, and of course they lost the next game. <laughs> That's when they lost to um, this lazy in California. So I didn't think about it again. But he said, you know, when he heard me say that, you know, he said he didn't think that was possible that <laughs> that wasn't you know in his mind at all um but you know at that point they'd already played you know Simeon and Morgan Park so that's why I was thinking that I knew they just had Bogan to go of the high level games I had no idea about this you know great team they're about to play from California so that went out the window but I mean and that's a six-point loss to Silesian California who's number five in max preps and the last time I checked which is last week that team's still undefeated yeah 29 and 0 so yeah, that is something so, else. But I, 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 but I get the feeling like when Curie, when they trot out there, let's say they're in Peoria, and the average fan just goes down to Peoria and takes in, hey, I can't wait to see this public league team that's thirty four and one, or whatever they're really, And I think they'd watch them initially and be like, huh. I mean, they, you know, I don't think it. They, they don't just jump out at you as this thirty four and one juggernaut. But then if you are a basketball fan, a true basketball fan, and you watch all the intangibles and everything that goes with this team, kind of what their DNA is, then you think differently and you can kind of figure it out after you've seen them a few times and understand they do a lot of the little things. And uh, they play with with composure. They play with uh, intensity. They play with uh, together. And, you know, and, and they do have a star. They have a legitimate bona fide star in Dejon Gordon, who I think is, uh, just along with the whole line that I'm talking about with Curie, is an is a under, I, I can't remember a more understated star. I, I really can't. I mean, this guy's won everything. And we don't gush and we don't, he's not, there's no bravado to him. So it's just, uh, it's a great story in the public league. Yeah, it sure is. I was looking at the thing. I mean, now that the city tournament's over and you're looking at it all, I mean, Orr could very well win 2A. You know, we've talked about Orr. They've beaten Orr twice. Um, Morgan Park clearly could very well win 3A. They've beaten Morgan Park twice. And they've beaten Simeon twice. I mean, that's... that's <laughs> I mean, just locally, 
that's right. crazy impressive. It, well, and you beat a great suburban team and boom. By 14, by yeah. yeah. Uh, new, beat New Trier by 20. 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they beat Bogan. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, as I'm looking at their schedule now, you had a team from Raleigh, Egypt, from Tennessee, is top five in their state. And uh, the team from Arizona that they beat by 15 is top five in their state. I think they have one or two. I think it might be the only loss. And I think so, yeah, it's, Eduprise has beaten, I think, two of our other teams. Simeon and Young, maybe? Or just Simeon? Yeah, possibly. They've been all over my I keep I wrote them down a ton early, I remember. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, for so long Belleville West was kind of and, and they st- I mean, Belleville West is still a, a team that's a bona fide state title contender and they're the defending state champs with arguably the best senior in Illinois. But right now, I mean, Curie is probably established itself as the team to beat going into March. So. Quite a road for them. Oh, and Belleville West. They're both going to have their big-time tests in the sectionals. Let's uh, Anything else you want to uh, – you know, I thought what was curious about the – and, and we, Joe and I talked about this briefly before we started recording, but in case fans don't know, I didn't know this until I was talking to Mark Farina. He's the um, announcer at Chicago State, does a lot of public league games all over the city. Um, if you guys have noticed over the last two years, announcers at high school basketball games are not allowed – to say the number of fouls a player has when he picks it up. So they wouldn't say, you know, um, foul Dejuan Gordon, his second. You know, we heard that for years, his third. They can't say that anymore. It's against the National Federation rules. Apparently, the rule was changed because they thought announcers were messing up too much. They were saying the wrong number of fouls and confusing everyone, Um, which, you know, we've all probably definitely seen plenty of times. So it's not like that isn't the case, but... So now at Chicago State, there was nowhere to know how many fouls a player had. And I don't keep that. I guess I'm going to have to start changing that. Um, I'm going to have to start keeping fouls now since it's not listed anywhere and they don't announce it, which is another thing I don't need to worry about. But anyway. I, I, can't, say I've, I can't say I've noticed it one time all year. I, mean, yeah, I didn't either until, yeah, this weekend, which is weird, huh? Um, um, and I, you know, the seeds came out and the brackets came out. And we're going to do a little bit of a regional – previewed in next week's podcast uh just real quick though one of the kind of the topics that came out of this is a problem i think uh, like something else i'm writing about but and, and it continues to be discussed by high school coaches is the growing complaint among these coaches of these top seeds higher seeded teams that have to go and play on the road in a regional not even get to the section. I get the sectional, you know, you, you advance there and big gyms are needed and whatever. But I, I, I just, there's some really intriguing top seeds or high seed teams that need to go on the road and win in an opposing team's gym who aren't too shabby and aren't, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about going and playing like an 18 seed, you know, we talked a little bit about it, I think, last week. Simeon having to go to Brother Rice. Now yeah. it's, well, not those two teams, but somebody had to play at Brother Rice. Marquise Kennedy at Brother Rice, Simeon a number three seed. That's a beast of a game uh, to have to go win a regional in. Uh, so, you know, Curie is the top-ranked team in Illinois. They've done everything they can to establish their number one seed. And, you know, Fenwick beats Kenwood. You know, Fenwick is another team that, that has some talent, some young talent, dangerous talent. 
Yeah, Curry is going to be a double-digit favorite. I didn't get it. But going into Fenwick is not easy either, especially on a Friday night in a regional where they'll have that place rocking, guaranteed. That's a tough one. You know, then there's other examples. Geneva had to play at Glenbard West, one at six. You know, that's not even a one versus eight, Mike, yeah. or a one-nine. <clears throat> no, that's a one versus six on the road in a regional. Uh, Glenbrook North at number two, Fre- or I'm sorry, number two Fremd at number seven Barrington. New Trier's a two seed, has to would possibly have to play at Glenbrook North in a number nine seed. So I guess bottom line here is I'm saying, do you remember what the old way was? Yeah. Top four seeds would host regionals, and and I and I can't remember. Did they take some regionals away from some at times because of? gym space or seating capacity or no do you remember that ever or no i don't know i think that's like a complete non-problem first of all and also, i think back you don't then, think it's a problem at all no not at all um and back then the public league only had one bid so and they weren't in this mess they weren't in the sectionals yeah i just I think there should be a minimum seat requirement or a capacity requirement. Which, like, look at the top four in 4A. There's one gym that would be an issue in the entire thing. Lincoln Park. Yeah, I mean, so what do you do? You just, you just let it roll? Yeah, you let it roll. If you, if you get a top four seed, you earned that. And that's it. I don't... I'm not worried about if uh, Hubbard or Proviso West or Juarez... You know, or whoever has to come play in your little gym. You're the number four. You had the season. You get it. But but there are only a handful of gyms that are too small. Well, right. Yeah. So I agree with that. It's not really an issue. I mean, if you look at the top four in every 4A, the only gym that isn't actually quite big, you know, this year is, like, I mean, Young and Curie are fine to host. Bloom, Marion, Simeon's fine. HF, you know, York, Bolingbrook, Wabonzi, Oswego East, West Aurora. This is not an issue. Um, to me at all, and if it is, and the and the rare case where a Lincoln Park or a Morgan Park, you know, gets it, or a Von Steuben or whatever, then those they get to play those two games in their gym. And frankly, with the attendance I've seen at regionals lately, mm-hmm. what are we worried about? Yeah, I just uh, and and it's only going to help crowds. But uh, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if one of the top four seeds is the yeah. host, I mean, you're going, you're going to, and that's what you want. I mean, you want some crowds, you want some gate money, you want some of that coming in, and you know that uh, I think would help in most cases. Definitely uh, regional attendance Be- because that's where the the fan interest is. It's in the school that has the top four seed. So, yeah, right. it just makes total sense to hold it there. I mean, Fenwick's a pretty small gym. We're talking about small gyms holding things the way it is now. Right. You know, Fenwick isn't exactly big to, to be hosting one. So it's not like, you know, we, we just only have big gyms now that they've done it this way. It's, uh, yeah, I don't get it. Um, I don't see one good reason that it isn't the top four hosting. It's just, Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I... And, and and you look at some of these, um, you know, travel, like Wabansi Valley is a two seed, right? They kind of traveled to Tinley Park, <laughs> playing you know two regional games at Andrew. Oh my God, that's that's hilarious. I mean, yeah, that's a drive. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. That's that's stupid. Um, I didn't see that. You no, know, so yeah, so I I just 
it, it's uh, something that's we always complain or I don't always complain, but we always point out some of the things that are wrong in high school basketball, and some of them are just seem so easy to correct and fix. And this one's I can't remember how many years it's been since it was that yeah, and how many years it was that way. I don't think it was that way very long. No, it wasn't. And I think it was before four classes for sure. Yeah, I think you're right. And so that means that the public league wasn't involved. So yeah. they weren't worried about small gyms, really. Oh, I got another one. <laughs> Why is De- I mean, DeKal got thrown into the Bartlett sectional. And is hosting a regional. So all these teams in the western suburbs are driving to DeKalb for a regional. Oh, and that's not even the worst part. This is my rant, my regional rant. Why in the world are 10 and 11 seeds getting play-in games? Having to play quarterfinals in the same sectional where 12 seeds don't. How is that right? Why is DeKalb a 12 seed automatically in the regional semis and Naperville North and Willowbrook are forced to play the play in game as 11 and 10. I, I mean, I know what, I mean, I, I know what they're going to say, but it's wrong. Oh, I fixed it. It's not geography. All you have to do. I mean, you, you guys aren't looking at the bracket, but I got into this on Twitter with some people. The fix is real simple. Um, you just move Willowbrook in to play Downers Grove North in the semi and you take Glenbrook North and move them up to DeKalb, and they play in the um, Glenbard North in a quarter. Yeah, without looking at the bracket, you're right. It's, it's, it's I mean, so Willowbrook's a 10. And, uh, well, this is one of the sectionals I was complaining about, actually. Um, some of the seeds that I saw were, like, they rolled North an 11 seed. I mean, I explained it my thing. It's just that they shouldn't be an 11 seed, but. But yeah, they're an 11 seed. Got to play a playing game uh, just to get to play Glenbard West in the semifinal. And yeah, you're right. The Cal's a 12 seed at home. It's ridiculous. There yeah. with, with a with a bye. Yeah, it happens again two or three times in the bracket. So it's not like it's just Bartlett. I mean, what is the point? Of, yeah, it's down here, right in the Aurora East sectional. Lamont gets to go right into the regional semis against Romeoville as an 11 seed. Meanwhile, number 10, Plainfield North, has to go to Andrew and play Andrew in a play-in game. And they're not even hosting Lamont. Yeah, it it doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my initial. And I feel like, did I just miss this last year? (laughs) Was this occurring? I feel like this is something I would not have missed. Um I mean, in case anybody wonders, I write out by hand every sectional bracket because that's, I'm just kind of mentally ill. That, that's the way I, like, remember things. If I write it, it sticks in my head. <laughs> so later this afternoon, I don't know if anyone needs to know this, but I will be sitting down and writing out the 3A and 4A brackets <laughs> on paper um, so I can kind of get them are in the, my head. Are those brackets... Yeah, you, can't you just print them, dude? <laughs> yeah, but then I'm not going to remember them. Then it's not going to stick. It's like my book. Well, no. Why can't you, can't you print the uh, the bracket and then just fill it out from there? Like, Yeah, no, no, no. But I want to write down each of the first round. I want to... So you know, you remember who's playing? It'll stick in my head. Yeah, I'll remember things real well if that I... That is asinine. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but I know I just I guess I don't know if it means I'm a visual learner or I, I know what I need to do <laughs> to know things. You print them out, no. staple them, and then just kind of flip to the sectional to remember. Yeah, no, I'm gonna go write out every single one of these teams. Three A and four A, I'll write them all out. Yep, I, I've done it. I've done it my whole life. Um, I have these big, I have these big brackets. I have this huge piece of paper where I can put all of three A and four A each on one. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> and then I'm gonna hang it up right here in my office. And... There's this great website ihsa.org that I go. That <laughs> just pulls them right up for me. It's really cool. Yeah, that would probably make more sense. Um, I guess, you know, and I, I'm calling up Ottawa's schedule right now. I feel bad for picking on Ottawa. Um, they're like 22 and two. I know you were picking. When'd you pick on them? I'm about to pick on them. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because that was the one thing that stuck out with me in all of the seeds was Kent Kiki getting the two. Um, they did go and lose this week. After that, but I mean, they beat Bloom. Well, this is uh, something we talked about before we went on the podcast is seeds and records. The one thing I really, it is hard to do is the team that does not play the great schedule, and but they don't lose. So it is really difficult to, do you know what I mean? I mean oh, yeah. Got, Ottawa is 22-2, and two, but they haven't played anyone – in our and they've played mainly teams from our area, and no one has sniffed the rankings. They have played teams in our area. Oh, mainly teams in our area. Yeah. No, um, but I mean, they lost any of them. Uh, no, I don't believe so. Uh, they lost to DeKalb, oof, by fourteen. I saw them one time, and they lost. So I'm bad. And they lost the Ottawa Pirates, but Peoria Notre Dame. Um, you know, but the schedule right. is like you're saying, much better. Or King of Keys schedule is much better, but their record is much worse. They're what, 18 and nine or something? 18 and seven. Um, but I mean, the teams they've beaten, I, I don't see how you can have Ottawa one ahead of Kankakee, but uh, that, that was the big thing there. Um, I mean, it, 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 the, those sectionals in the four, in the four class system, they are tough to, cause it's just, I don't know. There's no common opponent. There's no head to head. There's no, it's just it's hard. Um, I guess. Trying to... Is there anything else? Nothing really else stood out to me. I thought. Um, I thought they did a pretty good job over. I didn't get into the nitty gritty of looking at you know the six versus the eleven or whatever. I kind of have for now just glanced at the top seeds, but it looks pretty solid overall. Um, yeah, I, I think. And this is historically my my deal every year when these brackets come out. And this is – I think we've done a good job of, of staying away from B-rating 3A basketball this year. So far. Still early. Real early, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. But this is when I start doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, it's about to happen. I, do you know what I mean? I yeah. start – I look at the brackets and you sc- and I s- scroll through them. You'll probably do that this afternoon as you write them all down. Yes. But uh, I just I, – it blows my mind, man, that, that – and all the power to them to live out their March dreams for a lot of these teams to win a regional. I, that's that's great that and they don't do anything all regular season for a lot of them. But some of the sectional ma- or regional matchups for a regional championship 
are just unbelievable to me, like how bad they are and, and, and how few teams you can look at, particularly in the Chicago area, of how many legitimate teams that you can say, oh, no, that, that's a really that's a great team or that's a really good team. Uh, those are going to be some great matchups. I'm like, ugh. I don't know. There's they're just some of these sectionals are just so bad. I mean, I DePaul prep struggling, and they're. I don't think they're going to be. Well, I guess like, I mean Carmel's pretty good. So, but I mean, you get Pat, you get the depth of that sectional after you get Saint, past Saint Viator and DePaul prep and Carmel, and that's one of the good ones. Yeah. So, I mean that Ottawa. I don't know, uh, Ottawa and Hillcrest and Kankakee and I guess normal U-High is all right. But it's just the – you look at like the, the depth of the five, six, seven, eight, nine seeds versus 4A and it's just so glaring. Anyway, that's that's it. We'll have plenty of 3A bashing to come over the next couple of weeks. Don't worry, everybody. Um, I'm sure that's about to happen. I'm a little bit more intrigued with the, at least the top end of 3A this year, I think, than – so yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Springfield Southeast is a really, really, really good team, yeah. and they're much better than the one even that went downstate last year, Peoria. So, uh, look how Viator's yeah. playing now. That's exciting. Viator, Trey Calvin's yeah. back. Uh, they seem to be on. You know, a lot of times, Mike. This was actually a potential take of mine with St. Viator. We talked quite a bit about them this year, so I left them out. A lot of times, when you lose that player. And you kind of persevere and survive yeah. for three, four weeks. And other guys kind of step into a different role and gain some confidence along the way, a more experience, put some pressure on them. You come out a better team. As long as Trey Calvin, I haven't seen them play. So I, I, I'm, he's put up decent. I don't know where he's at and, you know, as far as being complete basketball mode, 90% or 80% or whatever. But as long as he's close to that, then that, I think it's a better team because of it. Yeah, definitely. That is usually how it works. All right. Like the only other thing I wanted to shout out before we look at the um, upcoming week, which isn't super exciting. I was literally shocked when Ron Ashlaw sent me uh, the score the other night and also attached the fact that Bryant Brown was the now career leading scorer in Waukegan history, school history. Well, what's his face? I didn't play his freshman year. That hurt him. Uh, oh, I totally forgot about that. All right. Yeah, R- Jeremy Richmond. Yeah, I forgot about the – wow. The, uh, what was it? Um, North? North Shore North, Country. What, was it no, North Shore? Right. <laughs> North Shore, right? Uh, yeah, I saw him at Latin. It must have been North Shore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, the, the commitment to Illinois when he was at North Shore. Yeah, that was on Thanksgiving what, Day. <laughs> wow, man! I had a top five, thirty for, and I did this story a long time ago, about five six years ago. Top five thirty for thirty would have to be a Jeremy Richmond thirty for thirty, without question. Oh, that was yeah. I'll never forget the first time I saw him play was at Latin. You know, they came to town, so you know, Latin's downtown, old town there, nice and close. So I go over there, and uh, Taylor Bell came, the legendary Taylor Bell. Um, I think he might have still been. St- doing some freelance stuff for us at the time. Um, but he walked in. I was there with Scott Powers. He was also there. He was doing ill hoops back then. So, you know, we're all there to watch Jeremy Richmond, the star freshman who had committed. I think he'd already at that point committed to Illinois. Yeah. And um, Taylor Bell got up at halftime 
turned around to Scott and I and said, well, this isn't going in my memoir and walked out. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. He was deeply unimpressed with one half of freshman Jeremy Richmond (laughs) (laughs) and left the building. (laughs) Yeah, he sure did. So um, that was funny. Um, Looking back real quick on that. Yeah. That's amazing that. I was thinking about that he stayed, knowing the Jeremy Richmond saga and all that went into it over his four years of high school. Yep. It's really amazing that he stayed committed to Illinois the entire time. He was 100% on board. You know, all the drama, all the wins, all the player of the years, goes through all the stuff, arrives on campus, the McDonald's All-American, ready to save the day, and then he sits behind Bill Cole. Yeah, it's just... That went well for everybody. Um, Crazy. Yeah, fun time. All right, the week ahead. Not a great week, but it is a week, so we're going to talk about it. Tuesday, we've got um, De La Salle is at DePaul Prep. And a really interesting, um, to me at least, TF North, TF South game. TF South's, you know, on the rise. We we don't know much about TF North. They do have... I saw them briefly. They had a, some young players. Exactly, yeah, who looked the part. But that's a fun rivalry. Brother Rice is at Richards in a interesting game. Richards, if you've, you you rankings guys will notice, you know, I put them in there three weeks ago, I think. Um, and I do this a lot if you pay attention to the rankings. Richards was on the cusp, and no one else had played, done anything during the week to deserve a spot in the rankings. And so I have to pick a team, though. Because the team had to go. So Richards was going to play Marion Catholic that week. And I'm like, well, here you go. I put Richards in. If they beat Marion Catholic, they clearly deserve to stay. And if they lose, then they're out. I don't got to worry about them again. Well, that game got postponed because of the weather. <laughs> so I couldn't, I had to keep Richards in. I was going to drop them. But they've kept winning since. You know, they haven't lost. They've kept themselves up there, which is very rare for a, a team that is on the cusp. Usually when I put them in, they lose. So Richards gets another chance here to prove it. They are a, they're a good team. We haven't talked about them much, but they're feisty, really tough, good rebounders. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Romeoville is at Hillcrest and what should be fun. We haven't talked about Romeoville in a long time. Um, Destin Whitaker has put up some big games. He picked up an offer, didn't he, this week, I think? Um, Schomburg is at Rolling Meadows. Well, Max Christie action. And then Wednesday, we've got all the crossover title games. Um, CSL, MSL, West Suburban. Uh, we also have St. Viator at Bennett and Thornton at Bogan, which I think might have just cropped up recently on the schedule. But did you notice that Thornton Bloom score? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a tight one. Um, yeah. Looks like you know, Thornton's playing well. Some teams trying to throw to fill in that 31-game schedule the last minute. Yeah, you got to do it. And, and, you know, that's been a trend with these Ty Streets Thornton teams. They've really improved throughout the season um, and been strongest at the end, which is, I guess, what you want. Thursday, we've got the Battle of Joliet, Joliet West at Joliet Central. Most of you probably aren't very excited about it, but I'm going to be there. Uh, Friday, TF South is at Oak Forest. I'm hoping to be there. I need to see this Oak Forest freshman, and Oak Forest has just had a tremendous season. Uh, Over 20 wins now, I believe, right? 20 and four or something. Um, That's the only game I have written down for Friday. Am I insane? I have not looked yeah, that I, far ahead. I know that's where I'm going. And uh, Saturday, I might go to the United Center to check out North Lawndale. They host Moline. Kind of haven't written about them all season, and you know that's a weird game, isn't it? Yeah, Moline North Lawndale at the UC. I figured it's a good time to go right and check in on those kids. You know, it's been in a 
they, I don't think they had the, I know they didn't have the season they wanted at North Lawndale, but you know, when your coach, you know, passes away a few weeks before the season and, you know, Lou Thorpe is a big figure, a major figure on the West side and kind of the king of North Lawndale out there. So th- they've been through a rough year. And so I'm going to kind of check in with those kids and see how things are going as they head into the state playoffs where it's three a and anything can happen. for sure so anyway thanks for listening everybody we will be back next week and we will break down the regionals take a really in-depth look at the playoff scene talk to you next week